0: Did Trump let 500,000 Americans die purely for political purposes? Kentucky MAGA Republican James Comer, chair of the House Oversight Committee, has been exposed as basically a con man with his phony Hunter Biden bribe witness. Now he's trying to rewrite the history of Trump and COVID. Comer's, Comer's latest stunt to try to whitewash Trump's role in the unnecessary death of at least a half million Americans is to argue nonsensically that the virus came out of the Wuhan virology lab, and therefore something, 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 Trump is not responsible. He's doing this with House, House Oversight Committee hearings this week. The reason Comer and other MAGA Republicans are working so hard to push this perennial theory, which may be true, but so what, is that they think directing the nation's attention to the Wuhan lab, which got collaboration and minor funding from Anthony Fauci's realm of the government, will point us at Fauci and thus distract us all from how many Americans Trump killed and why. And it's the why Trump intentionally killed a half million Americans where our media and the Democrats are really missing the story. April 7, 2020 was the day everything changed in America, and hardly anybody realizes it. It was the day that caused Jared Kushner to decide that letting black and Hispanic Americans in blue states die of COVID, yes, intentionally using the force of law and social pressure to push people into death's jaws, could become part of what he called an effective political strategy, and Donald Trump signed off on it. The most unreported story of the pandemic, the one that seems destined to be overlooked as histories are being written is what Trump did when he learned the COVID coronavirus was largely killing black and Hispanic people and mostly sparing whites. The moment came, he, he came to that realization, he completely altered the U.S. response to the pandemic, leading to the unnecessary death of 300,000 to 500,000 Americans, deaths that he and his vi- advisors apparently believed correctly would be, outside of nursing home residence, disproportionately black and Hispanic people. It's an amazing story and the evidence is easily found. But even Congressman Jamie Raskin missed an opportunity to point it out when he corrected Comer during yesterday's hearing to say, even if the virus came from a lab, as indeed it could have, we don't know yet that we don't know that yet. That would only deepen Donald Trump's culpability because he was the one who repeatedly and enthusiastically praised China's early handling of the pandemic and assured us that he was working closely with President Xi on the response to it. So let's just get the facts straight and leave all the political myth-making aside. But when you line up the timeline and events of 2020, a much more sinister picture of Trump's willingness to let Americans die and the reason why he was willing to let particular Americans die emerges that is pretty damn compelling. Here's how it played out. It's the story of a crime of mass death done entirely for political purposes. Through January of 2020, COVID was limited to a few clusters in the U.S. Trump, who privately told Bob Woodward the disease was a killer that rips you apart, kept downplaying its severity and assuring Americans there was nothing to worry about. On January 30th, the World Health Organization declared the outbreak a public health emergency of international concern. Louise and I joined two of my brothers and several of their and our kids on a family cruise the next day. When we left the ship and flew home on February 8th, most of us were sick. We still don't know if it was COVID. And the 3,700 passengers and crew of a different ship, the Diamond Princess, were getting headlines around the world quarantined off the coast of Japan for two long weeks with hundreds of cases of COVID. March 2020 was the month when things went to hell here in the United States. On March 5th, there were 129 known cases and only 11 deaths in the U.S., just 33 days later, hospitals were using refrigerated trucks as morgues, and over hundred thousand or 10,000 Americans were dead of COVID. Fear ran through communities and stalked our homes. We were washing our groceries with bleach after picking them up at the store's parking lot uh, from people wearing masks, goggles, and gloves. We bought up all the air filters in the country. We worked from home when we could. We isolated ourselves from other people, as much as was humanly possible. Within those few weeks, in March and early April, serious COVID outbreaks were showing up across the Northeast, and Trump, who had two years earlier shut down both of the two federal pandemic task force forces Obama had put in place after the Ebola scare, charged Jared Kushner with responding to the crisis. Trump put medical doctors on TV daily. The media was freaking out about refrigerated trucks carrying bodies away from New York hospitals. And doctors and nurses were our new national heroes. On March 7th, by March 7th, U.S. deaths had risen from four to only 22, but that was enough to spur federal action. Trump's official emergency declaration came on March 11th, and most of the country shut down during the following week. The skies and highways fell silent. The Dow collapsed, and millions of Americans were laid off. But saving lives was, after all, the number one consideration. Jared Kushner put together a task force of preppy 30-something white men he knew from college to coordinate getting personal protective equipment, PPE, from Trump buddies and companies close to Republican members of Congress into hospitals. They even had a plan for the post office to distribute 650 million masks, five to every American household, to slow the pandemic. But then came came April 7th, just one month later, when the New York Times ran a front-page story with the headline, Black Americans Face Alarming Rates of Coronavirus Infection in Some States. It hit conservative media, Donald Trump, and Jared Kushner like a lightning bolt. Most of the non-elderly people dying from COVID, the report found, were black or Hispanic, not white people. As the New York Times reported on April 7th, the coronavirus is infecting and killing black people in the United States at disproportionately high rates. In Illinois, 43% of people who have died from the disease and 28% of those who have tested positive are African Americans, a group that makes up just 15% of the state's population. African Americans who account for a third of positive tests in Michigan represent 40% of deaths in that state, even though they make up 14% of the population. In Louisiana, about seventy percent of the people who have died are black, though only a third of that state's population is. End quote. Republicans responded with a collective, What the hell? Limbaugh solemnly declared that afternoon, With the coronavirus, I've been waiting for the racial component. And here it was. The coronavirus now hits African Americans harder, Limbaugh proclaimed. Harder than anybody harder than illegal aliens, harder than women. It hits African Americans harder than anybody disproportionate representation. It didn't take a medical savant, of course, to figure out why, and it had nothing to do with the biology of race or COVID. It was purely systemic racism. African Americans died disproportionately from everything, from heart disease to strokes to cancer to childbirth, and are also overrepresented in low-paid public-facing service jobs where they could more easily catch COVID. It's a symptom of a racially rigged, rigged economy in a healthcare system that only responds to money, which America has conspired to keep from American, African Americans for over 400 years. Of course, black people are going to die more frequently from coronavirus. But the New York Times and the Washington Post simultaneously publishing April 7th front page articles about that disparity, followed by it leading or making the news that night on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox, echoed across the right-wing media landscape like a Fourth of July fireworks. Tucker Carlson, the only primetime Fox and news host who'd previously expressed serious concerns about the dangers of the virus, changed his tune the same day as documented by Media Matters of America. Now, Tucker said, quote, we can begin to consider how to improve the lives of the rest, the countless Americans who have been grievously hurt by this, by our response to this, How do we get 17 million of our most vulnerable citizens back to work? That's our task. The rest are white people. Those vulnerable citizens Tucker wanted to get back to work would be disproportionately minorities. As a report from the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus noted, quote, essential workers who needed to work in person and their family members were significantly more likely to contract the coronavirus early in the crisis. These essential workers disproportionately earned low wages and were more likely to be people of color. Black and Latina women were particularly overrepresented as essential workers at great risk of coronavirus infection, with Latina women making up 22% of women grocery store workers and black women making up 27% of women home health aid workers. On the other hand, salaried workers, overwhelmingly white, were telecommuting. For over a year, I did my show from home, for example, as did all my peers at SiriusXM, Free Speech TV, and in most media operations around the country. People everywhere could work from home. Most employers were making accommodations. But Trump wanted the rest of the economy to recover from the election year shutdown shock because he knew presidents running for re-election during economic bad times almost always lose. He knew that if he wanted to win in 2020, that meant getting essential workers like transit drivers, store clerks, and people in slaughterhouses back to their jobs particularly if they were black or brown. Brit Hume joined Tucker Carlson's show, and using his gravitas as a real news guy intoned, the disease turned out not to be quite as dangerous as we thought. Left unsaid was the issue of for whom it was not quite as dangerous, but Limbaugh listeners and Fox News viewers are anything but unsophisticated when it comes to hearing dog whistles on behalf of white supremacy. Only 12,677 Americans were dead by that April day, but now that Trump and his right-wing media believed most of the non-elderly dying people were and would be black and Hispanic, things were suddenly very, very different. Now it was time to quit talking about people dying and start talking about getting those black and brown people back to work, even if it meant exposing them to a deadly disease. On April 12th, Trump retweeted a call to fire Dr. Anthony Fauci and declared in another tweet, that he had the sole authority to open the U.S. back up and would announce a specific plan to do that shortly. On April 13th, the ultra-white-ring, nearly entirely white-managed U.S. Chamber of Commerce published a policy paper titled Implementing a National Return to Work Plan. The next day, FreedomWorks, the billionaire-founded and funded group that animated the Tea Party against Obamacare a decade earlier, published an op-ed on their website calling for an economic recovery program including an end to the capital gains tax and a new law to shield businesses from lawsuits. Three days after that, FreedomWorks and the House Freedom Caucus issued a joint statement declaring that it's time to reopen the economy. FreedomWorks published their Reopen America Rally Planning Guide encouraging conservatives to show up in person at their state capitals and governor mansions and for signage to keep it short, I'm essential, let me work, let me feed my family, and to keep the signs looking homemade. One of the first open-the-country rallies to get widespread national attention was April 19th in mostly white New Hampshire. Over the next several weeks, rallies filled with angry white people had metastasized across the nation, from Oregon to Arizona, Delaware, North Carolina, Virginia, Illinois, and elsewhere. One that drew particularly high levels of media attention, complete with swastikas, Confederate flags, and assault rifles, was directed against the governor of Michigan, rising Democratic star Gretchen Whitmer. This is around the time long-standing right-wing networks began to awaken and coordinate with each other. They reached out to members of Congress and the Senate and found allies. Trump explicitly encouraged them to encourage low-wage essential workers to return to their jobs. Suddenly things began to change as the federal government stopped trying to save lives and started promising policies that would eventually kill unnecessarily a half million Americans. NBC News, when they'd gotten hold of April emails from within the White House, ran the headline, Trump administration scrapped plans to send every American a mask in April email shows. When Rachel Maddow reported on meatpacking plants that were epicenters of mass infection, the conservative chief justice of the Wisconsin Supreme Court pointed out that the virus flare wasn't coming from regular folks of the surrounding white community. The sick people were mostly Hispanic and black. He essentially said, no big deal. The Republican meme was now well-established and was being repeatedly, repeated virtually daily on Fox so-called news and right-wing talk radio. Working-age white people were far, far less likely to get sick, more likely to be asymptomatic, or even if they were unlucky and got sick, most likely to survive the trip, a trip to the hospital. Then came news that bigger outbreaks than we realized were now happening in meat packing plants, places with few white people, and the few whites in them were largely poor and thus disposable. Trump's response was to issue an executive order using the Defense Production Act, which he had refused to use to order production of testing or PPE equipment, to order the largely Hispanic and black workforce back into the slaughterhouses and meat processing plants. African Americans were dying in our cities. Hispanics were dying in meatpacking plants. The elderly of all races were dying in nursing homes. But the death toll among working-age affluent white people who could telecommute and were less likely to be obese, have hypertension, or struggle with diabetes was relatively low. It took a lot of pressure off Trump and his Republicans. They could now politicize the virus, and if they did it right, they could do so publicly with a wink to Marjorie Taylor Greene's white supremacists. And if they could get the economy back to cracking along, cranking along, with, uh, along within the next few months— they might be able to pull the 2020 election out of the bag. As an expert member of Jared Kushner's team of young, unqualified volunteers supervising the administration's PPE response, noted to Vanity Fair's Catherine Eben, the political folks believed that because it was going to be relegated to democratic states that they could blame those governors, and that would be an effective political strategy. It was, after all, exclusively blue states that were then hit hard by the virus, Washington, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And there was an election coming in just a few months. At year's end, the United States was ranked fifth worst in the world in our response, behind Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, and Iran. And we had about 20% of the world's COVID deaths, but only 4.5% of the world's population. The lasting legacy of Trump's changes in policy and encouraging COVID skepticism is that today we're the world's worst in terms of death and sickness, period. He'd thrown his unqualified slumlord son-in-law Jared Kushner at something even a professional would have found the challenge of a lifetime, and then manipulated it to help him in the upcoming 2020 election. More people have died of COVID in America as a percentage or in absolute terms than any other developed country in the world. Why? Because Trump and his Republican enablers and co-conspirators were just fine with getting the economy back on track to win an election over the bodies of dead and dead black and Hispanic people, particularly when they could blame it on Democratic blue state governors. Former Attorney General Kennedy's grandson, Max Kennedy, Jr., 26, was one of the administration's volunteers who blew the whistle to Congress on Kushner and Trump. As Jane Mayer wrote for The New Yorker, quote, Kennedy was disgusted to see that the political appointees who'd supervised... he." him were hailing Trump as a marketing genius because Kennedy said they told him he personally came up with the strategy of blaming the blue states. As that report released from the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus reported just a few months ago, quote, in the first half of 2020, African Americans and Latinos had death rates from coronavirus that far outweighed those of whites, while 62 percent of the population aged 45 to 54 in 2020 was white, This population accounted for only 22% of coronavirus deaths deaths in that age range. Disparities were even more pronounced in some states, such as Louisiana, where in April 2020, African Americans represented 70% of coronavirus deaths, despite being only one-third of that state's population. And once Trump and Kushner put that strategy into place in April, it became politically impossible to back away from it, even as more and more red-state white people became infected. As Trump told Dr. Deborah Burks in mid-April, and she reported in her book Silent Invasion, The Untold Story, quote, We will never shut down the country again. Never. His pupils hardened into points of anger. I felt the blood drain from my face, and I shivered slightly. Trump's change from a policy of prevention to a policy of herd immunity once he realized on April 7, 2020 that healthy white people were largely immune from death by the coronavirus put the U.S. on course to have the worst COVID death rate in the world. That was the day everything changed because Trump and Kushner were willing to let black and Hispanic people die on a gamble that they could still put the economy back together fast enough to win the 2020 election. Over a million Americans have died so far, more than any other nation. Multiple studies show that up to 400,000 of those deaths wouldn't have happened if Trump had just promoted masks, and lockdowns through the year before the vaccine was available, and since then if he had condemned the anti-vax movement that emerged in the last months of his presidency. But he didn't do either, all because he knew the dot virus disproportionately killed black and brown people, and he was willing to do anything to win the election. And sure enough, as Congress reported last December, a massive number of those deaths were as a clear result of Trump's policies among black and Hispanic people. If that's not racial mass murder, aka genocide at a Serbian war crimes level, then the phrase has lost much of its meaning. Jack Smith, are you listening?